Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, TuneIn Radio, Spotify and all good podcast sites. Yes, this is Anthony the Bull Caruso and we are excited to present another Profile Splinters episode and it's a very special one for you tonight. Now last season uh, we, we got to do a, a Profile episode on Rob Aitken in New South Wales Premier Cricket following his record-breaking 473rd first-grade match. Um, tonight, we present another record-breaker, this time from the women's game. She's been a stalwart of the Gordon Women's Cricket Club, the, the Mighty Reds. She has overseen the growth of the club and has seen some serious talent coming through, including cricketing legend Lisa Stalaker and current favourites in Saskia Hawley and Heidi Cheadle. With 11-plus years as president of the club as well, she's the heart and soul of the Mighty Reds. She has just played her 500th game in New South Wales Premier Cricket. We believe the first woman to have achieved this in the history of the competition. Jess Henry, welcome to Splinters. Thanks very much, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here and appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. It's What, what an achievement this is. 500 games in New South Wales Premier Cricket. And considering this is a competition that's only been going since the early 70s, you know, this is this is a record really that is going to take some beating. I think well, I think it I think it will, and so far as I'm aware it is a record and, and obviously for me to have played five hundred games also means that I'm old. So so uh definitely older than some of the players that are running around at the moment, but but it's been a, a fabulous journey. I've played with some incredible people and I've uh, I, I still play with some amazing people and, and great friends and it's it's a real privilege to have been able to play have played those five hundred matches. Now, tonight we will reflect on where women's cricket has come over the last twenty plus years. Um, through Jess's involvement, the great, the, game, the greater game as a whole, um, where she, we're going to ask her also where she thinks women's cricket is going in the future. It's an incredible honour to have her on the show. Uh, what a time to talk, especially you know coming towards the end of WBBL six. Many people thought wouldn't even get really Jess wouldn't even get to this stage. Not only mm. with some people really questioning the work of a women's national BBL competition. Well, to those. I say have at you, obviously with the noted challenges this year of COVID-19 and the logistical challenges that will come with it. A oh, massive logistical challenge, and knowing so many of the the staff and the the, the um, senior people in cricket in South Wales, I know exactly how much effort they've put into it, and how much effort Cricket Australia has put into it. And kudos to all of them for making sure that the competition still happened. I know that the the crowds have had to be a little bit lower than usual because of the social distancing, physical distancing, but it's still been an incredible spectacle. We've had more of the big women's big bash games on TV than ever before, and streamed than ever before, and I think we've still had plenty of an incredible cricket to play and to, to watch and and you know on Sunday Midge Alyssa Healy scored an incredible 111 for the Sixers off from 50, 52 balls that's really what will bring attention to our get to our game it should be mentioned as well that was actually even though it was COVID conditions it should be noted that game was actually a sellout as well Sell out in COVID conditions. In fact, most of them been. I haven't made it to one of the games because every time I decided to go, 
it was already sold out or there were single tickets available only. So I think that's an incredible, uh, incredible outcome. And, and as I said, huge kudos to Cricket Australia and to Cricket New South Wales for making it happen and, and for all of the other franchises for coming into a bubble and being prepared to live in a bubble for so long. Well, with, without further ado, it's about to, well, I mean, it's, it's well past eight o'clock, um, anyway now. And I can actually see the, um, uh, the umpire strike back and a huge ass um, about to enter the field and start play. So without further ado, they have called play. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. And I want to start off going through your uh, the development of, of women's cricket. How you started off almost at Gordon and where women's cricket was at that time when you, when you first started with the Mighty Reds. That was a very long time ago. So you're talking late 1985, and I was uh, just doing my HSC, which just gives away my age. Oh, I wanted to. I'm, I having wanted to flashback. I'm having flashbacks to that straight away because 19, December 1985 is actually when I was born. Oh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for sharing that. That's probably too much information. There was no need to share that with me. But there you go. I've been playing. One of the uh, youngsters actually who spoke yesterday. The, the club put on a put on a present special presentation for me, and one of our 17 year olds who I've known for to, for six years. And shout out to Sophie Martland. She did a fabulous job, and she made a point of mentioning that I've been playing for the Reds more than for more than twice her age. So thanks, thanks, Sophie, for that. Um, but, but I'll, I'll claim that I'm just very resilient instead. Um, and when I did first start playing, which is around about Sophie's age, actually. So when I did first start playing, I, didn't, I wanted to play a team sport after after school and I didn't know what to do and I'd always loved cricket. And my mum actually found a, an advertisement in the local paper for Gordon Women's Cricket. So I checked it out, went and played, and and um, the rest is history. I've been there ever since and, and, re- and been president for 25 years, Um I've been on the committee for 30 years. I've probably seen seven or 800 players come through the club. And the cricket, women's cricket has just come so far in that time. If I think back to then, people didn't know about women's cricket. And, and even for the next 15, 20 years, players were still needing to play, pay their own way to play for Australia, to play for their state. Um, and it would be a week-long national championship competition rather than something like a big bash. The international players um, would get presented with a, with a, with an invoice when they, got home from the tour to pay for their own own Australian um, blazer and played, paid for all their expenses so, expenses. so thankfully we've come a really long way since then and it's, it's been an amazing journey to be on. And Earlier this year I was at the MCG for the World Cup final where we had 86,174 people trying to get into the MCG to watch to watch women's cricket and it was quite an overwhelming moment for me to see all those people queuing up to get into the ground and then the atmosphere in the ground and I honestly never imagined in my wildest dreams that that I would ever see that in women's cricket so it's it's been a, and remarkably that was the last real big crowd um, event we had in the country before COVID hit four days later the Aussie men were playing in an empty stadium isn't it amazing just to think where where it sort of come from and where it is now I mean when you consider in, indeed you only need to look at some of the personalities that were playing the game at the time and indeed in its infancy, even before its infancy of where it was, the only player that anyone would have ever known about would have been the absolutely incredible Betty White playing back in the 50s. And then into the 90s, the days of Karen Rolton, Zoe Goss and Belinda Clark. You've got an entire team of superstars, personnel, media person, not, not only superstars, media personalities and the public, the greater public, and full credit to them, 
have really gotten on board with supporting women's cricket. It's a, it's a very good product that's out there, and 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 it's been very very well promoted by by Cricket Australia. I think they've done an amazing job, uh, as have Cricket New South Wales. I think Cricket New South Wales really did lead the way in in promoting women's cricket and making it one game rather than men's and women's cricket. I think it was around about 2000 or 2001 when uh, the Women's Cricket Association merged with Cricket New South Wales, and it's been on the up ever since. Uh, and you know, from a Big Bash perspective, I think the Women's Big Bash is what's really brought our game to the fore. People want to go and watch it. And for me to go to a, to a cricket match, to a, a Big Bash match and a representative match and see young boys there and teenage boys there wearing the gear and cheering the girls on, that's a pretty remarkable um, experience and a remarkable outcome. Again, it's not something I ever thought I would see, but it's cricket. And Alex Black was very big on that. She t- doesn't want to talk about men's cricket or women's cricket. She wants to talk about cricket. And we're, we're just um, you know we've come just so far in that time and there's a lot of pioneers of the game who who did such an incredible job but they did a really really tough it was it was tough it was tough for them to be able to promote the game and it's all the work that they did before them that has got us to a point where we are now so it's a, I think it's still a really exciting time in our game it was a little bit of a shame that that uh, the COVID hit right on the back of the the final because I think we probably lost some sort of momentum through that but I also think that the, the big bash and some of the incredible cricket we've seen during the, the latest women's big bash that has really brought it to the forefront again and I know from a club perspective we've had a, a bunch of new adult players come along this season who haven't played before and and that's because you know they know about the cricket and it's got a bigger profile and they're seeing the people like the the midges the Alyssa healys the pezzers and the and the lannings meg lannings out there um playing cricket and succeeding it's i think it's um it's really exciting it, it gone are the days where the mums would normally be there almost either along with the crowd or maybe helping out with scoring and now getting involved with either coaching a team or, or indeed playing in their own right. Maybe a half joke as it were, but, you know, I used to say to my mum every now that, you know, you should really consider playing, and this is at the age of 40, because unbeknownst to everyone, she could actually bowl leg spin. Okay. Uh, just a very natural action with it. But, but you see, as you said, to your point, you're seeing women of all ages actually getting involved yeah. with maybe little to no experience, and they're just jumping on, and it's just taking them on a brand new journey. Yeah, look, I've played against plenty of teams. Uh, only two weeks ago, we played against North Sydney, and uh, we had a, a mother and daughter. A mother and daughter plays in that team. We've had that at, at Gordon previously, and we've also had uh, obviously a lot of parental support, a lot of volunteers from our from our parents in, in total. The the fathers are great for lifting the heavy covers, um, but the, the we've got so many mothers involved as well. Either um, not so many on the field, but certainly off the field, and get very enthusiastic. And clubs like you you would know that yourself, I'm sure, in, in playing club cricket yourself in that it's so critical to the survival of of club cricket that we have a massive volunteer base and passionate volunteer base and that helps us to do what we do and gets more people involved in the game and and is what helps our our youngsters to to play their best cricket and and go through and hopefully go to the represent at the highest levels. Interesting question for you in this one, because obviously with your experience as an administrator, um, we've seen sort of a little bit of a mixture of club structures in, within New South Wales mm. Women's Premier Cricket. Not only that, but also your mm. work that you do with Cricket New South Wales and the SEA as a, women, as a women's delegate. Now, mm. I, I, bring to you, I bring to your attention in particular some of the clubs that you've got. Obviously, with a standalone club like, like St George Sutherland, uh, clubs that have got very close affiliations, maybe not complete, uh, like just an affiliation, so the likes of Bankstown Sports, yourself with Gordon uh, and the universities. 
but now we're starting to see more and more clubs where the women's program is now fully integrated as part of the full club. And we're talking a lot of Camden, Camden, Manly Warringah, who have just come on board, Mossman, who have just come on board, Northern District, Parramatta, Penrith, and UTS, North Sydney. Given sort of the experience that you've had, sort of looking at not only these these new integrated clubs, and then look at your experience with a club that you probably say would be an affiliate, a very close affiliation. What's going to be the future of that of that structure? Are we going to continue to see the affiliation clubs, or are we going to look to see a model potentially where women's cricket, as you said to Alex Blackwell's point, talking about one game of cricket? Yeah, it, it's certainly fully integrated, um, and that's the way that even from a Gordon perspective, we're doing more. And you know, I've, I've known um, most of the, the administrators at the men's club for some of them for 30, 35 years, well, the whole time I've been playing cricket. Um, and we've always worked very, very closely together. And it, it's, it's, it's worked to have, you know, different, not different administrations as such, but manage ourselves because the women's and women's games are still quite different, particularly from a club perspective. We're also talking about really big clubs, so you need to make sure that, you know, we're not overloading people with, with admin as well. But I think that the future is absolutely moving closer and closer to fully integrated. That's certainly a conversation we're already having with that, with um, our men's club and Jeff, Jeff Hickman, the, the men's club president, and even to the extent of uh, any sponsorship conversations that we're having at the moment, it's a one club approach. You know, it's a much more compelling value proposition for to talk one club rather than men's, women's, and juniors. So uh, we'll increasingly move that way. Universities is an interesting one. That's actually a joint venture between University of New South Wales and Sydney University. So it's a, a little bit different, um, and v- they're very competitive because they have um, they they it's, you have sports scholarships available, which is quite challenging. Very, very challenging. But otherwise, uh, absolutely, it's moving to, towards uh, fully integrated. One of the challenges we do have is that there's sometimes people who think that every single men's club should have a women's division. Possible at the moment. Maybe down the track it will be. But right now, uh, there are some challenges with numbers, particularly on the North Shore, where previously it was a Northern District and a Gordon, but now you see Northern District, Gordon, North Sydney, Mossman, Manly, which is makes it a much more competitive environment. And and uh, we're all you know in a, a relative a small area so there's a few challenges there but by the same token um, the, the game is much stronger than it once was we've seen the new clubs come into the competition we've got some incredible talent coming through if you think about the the Phoebe Litchfields playing out at Penrith you've got a couple of very young um, very young future stars coming through the Gordon the Gordon pathway and you know watch this space because I think it's going to be very exciting in the years to come but if you think about from a fully full integration perspective, we're all volunteers. There's limited funds and limited resources available, so it makes sense that we operate as closely together as possible or as integrated as possible so that we're using our resources very very efficiently and, and not duplicating work as well. And you mentioned that as well, that we've seen the growth of women's cricket initially, like the men's, you know, focused around, say, inner city, inner Sydney or the Northern Corridor, but we've seen this real explosion out of the western suburbs now. I mean, seeing Paramount, seeing the likes of Paramount, Camptown, Camden and Penrith really coming to come to the fold in terms of competitiveness and the potential of clubs in the future coming out uh, coming out as well. It's showing that cricket is really moving beyond just being a game for elitists, some would say, and really is one that you know, it's almost, I guess, it almost, it just, it takes all comers to play the game. It, it certainly does. One of the challenges we do have in the, in the, in the women's game is that there's no other competition for adult women to play in, 
if you want to play cricket and you're starting for the first time and you're 18, aged 18 or over, there's only the premier, premier women's competition to play in. Whereas in the men's competition, you've got multiple different options available, as, as you would know yourself. So that is one of the challenges for us, and being able to provide cricket for all standards um, across all parts of all parts of the competition. That sees some growth coming through. I think one of the things that we need to focus on at the moment, if I put all of my different hats on, um, my personal view, is that we do need to focus on making sure that the clubs we have out there now are all very strong. They've all got the full complement of teams within the competition, and they've got that strong pathway themselves coming through from the juniors too. I think if we just keep adding clubs into the competition and have got one team, two teams, then that's when you're starting to really to really um, dilute the talent that you have available out there. So I think, yeah, we'll get there eventually, but right now I think we should focus on, on having a full complement of teams across the clubs that are in the competition right now. Let's come, let's come to you. Let, let's, let's come to you. Now, the stats I originally had were my cricket stats, which started in 2009-10, but you provided the uh, your full career stats, an average of 19.69 with a high score. And please take me through it. Your high score of 103. High score of 103. That was a really long time ago. <laughs> really long time ago. Um, these days in third grade, if you're playing limited overs, it's a retirement at 50 and T20 is a retirement at 30, which is actually fabulous because I'm usually quite tired by then. But the 103 was back uh, way back in the year 2000, the season 2000, 2001. Um, remember it very clearly. We're on a very small field, so that probably made it a bit easier. Um, you don't remember which one? I do. Forsyth Park. Oh, uh, Park. Yeah, Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bay. Yeah, yeah. Bay. And a beautiful place to play cricket, actually, because you've got the vista, especially at the moment. We played there yesterday. You've got the beautiful vista across the top of the jacarandas down to the harbour. So it's, it's my favourite place to play cricket, actually. And the 103 was scored there. It was a really long time ago. Loved it. Um, and uh, we'll always, uh, we'll always savour it, I guess. But I love batting. Um, I told a story yesterday, actually, that that when my very first game for the club was it was a Colts team under they decided to put an under seventeen team in the third grade competition as it was back then, and we um, I was the only person in the team, who, only player in the team who could play a defensive shot. So I sent out to open in the first game. Uh, I've been opening ever since. So was, you know, I can't imagine batting anywhere else. So uh, I get out there, and I when you're at Forsyth, so you enjoy the enjoy the view as well as having a bit of a bat and and not having to run too much either. Oh, I've noticed in particular, and it's a very big exclamation mark. And I don't know which one you're more proud of: the 103 you scored or your best bowling figures of two for two. Best bowling. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as a batter, I have to say the 100, but I am quite proud of my wickets because um, I haven't bowled very many overs in those 500 games. The girls did indulge me um, on Saturday. They absolutely indulged me on Saturday, and I was uh, bowled four overs. I have a very sore shoulder today, but I was actually uh, two for seven from the first three overs. I should have stopped there because uh, the fourth over, I was a bit tired, and it it all fell apart a bit. But I took another two wickets uh, on Saturday, so I can can mark up, uh, that's what, 12th and 13th wickets now. Quite proud of that. Excellent, excellent. Look, for me, the other other than this girl, you know, being a bowler, you always have to get uh, always have to get wickets. But the the one regret I do have in my life was is that my high score is a ninety one. Oh dear. And yeah, and you probably agree. You probably agree with me. Is that usually the first fifty sixty runs? No problem. After that, it becomes a lot of hard work. Well, it's actually because it was so long ago. I don't I don't remember too much of it. I do remember scoring it, but uh, I do remember also that. If you hit the ball hard enough, then you don't have to run so much anyway. 
I, I know as well, uh, 159 catches, obviously no surprise, and 12 stumping. So I take it you have spent a bit of time playing as a wicket keeper as well. I've spent a lot of time keeping. It's one of my favourite things. I've semi, I've mostly retired from it these days. I have lots of bent fingers and a sore back and sore knees, but I loved keeping it. Keeps you in the game the whole time. Pardon the pun, but you're in the game the whole time. And uh, opening the batting and keeping is a is a challenging gig, but I still loved it. And I probably kept for kept wicket for 25 of my 35 seasons or 20 to 25 of my 35 seasons so far. Um, would love to keep doing it. I do do it every now and then if we're desperate and thoroughly enjoy it, but uh, it takes a long time for my knees to get working again afterwards. But uh, keeping is fabulous. That's why I love watching um, Midge Alyssa Healy play. Opens the batting, keeps. Um, fabulous to watch, and it's just it, it's it's a fun thing to do. I love it. I, I still maintain. I think Alyssa Healy is probably Australia's third best keeper. Like if you're talking as a pure keeper, is that uh, right? Who are you one and two? My one and two, Tim Payne goes. Ah, okay. To, goes yeah. that same. And I would say my number two in terms of pure keeper is Peter Neville. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. No, yeah. I, I would agree with that. And I'll um, put Alyssa Healy at number three, and the reason why is because, and you would probably be able you. You'd probably be able to explain it better on most. But her hand movement is like is absolute lightning. Tim Payne and Peter Neville both got very good body body uh, body movement, able to move very slowly. Alyssa Healy, her hands are probably almost quicker than theirs. She I think in my view she's taken some of the best leg side leg side stumpings in the game. Yeah, it's she's she's taken some extraordinary leg side stumping. So yeah, she's fabulous to watch. Her her uncle will be impressed with those, some of those. Yes, yes, I'm sure he would be. A couple, you do have a couple of premierships in, in your in your um, in your repertoire. Um, I know in particular, the, and you might be able to fill me in on a couple of other ones. Uh, two third grade limited overs, 2009-10 and 2018-19. That, that obviously that one only a couple of years ago, and probably very fresh in your mind. It was very fresh in my mind. Um, the final was washed out halfway through, actually. So, and, and we fortunately finished on top of the table. So we took the shield home with us. There was no reserve day. Um, but I've had I've had uh, six premierships or so over the years. I think my my 1992-93 in second grade. That was it sticks in my mind because we were gone for all money. I think we were playing Sydney. No, I actually can't remember who we were playing. We were playing at Sydney University though on their their number two ground as it was then. It's got a grandstand or something on it now. Um, but it was a fabulous ground to play on, and we were absolutely gone for all money with the opposition chasing, and uh, they didn't need too many runs. And as a bit of a, a gamble, we put. Uh, uh, Jerry Reaper on to bowl. She took lots of wickets and we won the game. And that was an extraordinary outcome. And our first grade team was playing on the lower field and I think won at the same time. So that was a, a memorable, a memorable grand final series. And then the 2008-09 final in third grade, uh, I think is right up there with my, my all time favourites. It was um, a bunch of besties, you know, a bunch of really good friends. We'd been playing together for a long time. We went through the whole season unbeaten. Um, we played some really good cricket. And we had a really good time, and it was just one of my one of my favourite seasons ever. And I, I note as I note as well with the you know we won't go too much into the uh, the, the the long list of runners up because they, especially in the last ten fifteen years, I think I've noticed in third grade in particular. You could tell me about this rivalry a little bit. 
Gordon versus St. George Sutherland in third grade, it's almost as if you inevitably fight each other in the finals. Yes, there has there's been some different standards in the grade in third grade in particular over the last few years and it invariably it has been St. George Sutherland, the Slayers, and, and Gordon the Muddy Reds playing in the in the finals, whether T twenty or, or third or um forty overs. And to be fair, it, it, both either side would be very disappointed if we weren't playing each other in the final because it's it's just a, you know, arch rivals and we have a healthy respect for each other um, and uh, we've played only maybe one or two other teams across that time in the finals. In fact, St. George Sutherland uh, withdrew from third grade at the beginning of this season, uh, which surprised us all significantly. They've had a bit of a challenge with numbers, I think, and there was almost a sense of disappointment, I think, that we weren't going to come up with them and, and keep that rivalry going uh, throughout this season. It is always a challenge in, any, in this kind of environment to really keep numbers to keep numbers going. I think it has to be signed as a credit to all clubs that they've been able to get, for the most part, teams on the park. So oh, look, I think I think we, our experience is that we were very short of numbers ourselves about two weeks before the season started, and we were considering pulling a team out of the competition. Uh, but in the last, in that couple of weeks, uh, through a lot of hard work from, from a, a group of people, and then since then, we've now got a very healthy squad of players across all teams. And I think part of that, some of, four or five of them had never played before, adults who hadn't played before. But I think that uh, one of the things I, I would note is I think everybody just came out of the COVID winter hibernation a little bit later than than we thought they would, and people were quite surprised to uh, we, we you know we, it's a very pleasant surprise to have all of those players come out of out of the woodwork and, and begin playing for us. But I think it just took everybody a while to realise it was time to play some summer sport. Well, absolutely, and you know what a time to be able to do it. Come out of COVID, come out of everyone's itching to do something. I, I mean, I can speak That's from right. experience. I can speak from experience myself. Not, not our football team folded, so I'm sitting for six months. Right. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Cricket comes around. Bless my wife, turns around and gives me an extra two seasons of cricket just because I didn't get to play football this year. So right. Uh, right. I, think she, I think she probably realised, and it's probably the same for yourself, when you're stuck at home for a long period of time with nothing to do, you, you start to get a bit of cabin fever. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and, and certainly it was a little bit strange. Obviously, the, the the pre-season in particular was very much in COVID time still, and I never thought that we would we were QR coding into scanning into all of our training sessions. We were limiting numbers. We were uh, having plenty of hand sanitizer around, and even now each. Each team, every team has its own COVID kit of a, a QR code scan sign of wipes, of sanitizer, of tissues. We've got the whole lot going. So um, that's probably put a little bit more of a dent in the budget, but it was things that we just had to do. So we're all very accustomed to that now, and it's just part of life. And just the last thing I want to raise before we go to our break, and Forsyth Park, I mean, I've driven past that ground many times. I've, I've noted the... Uh, yeah, you see the games happening around there. It's a little bit unusual for Gordon because, of course, it's well outside your catchment yep. area, your traditional catchment area. As you said, it is an amazing area to play. Beautiful little ground, almost right on the water. It should be mentioned as well. A couple of very handy cafes not far away either. It is, it is. Well... Actually, when the club first existed, so back in the 80, I think the club started 82, 83, probably for the first 10 years, Forsyth Park was the home ground for first and second grade. And they were turf wickets, uncovered turf, turf wickets. And the reason we were playing there was that in those days, we didn't have access to the, the men's grounds. And we were playing on a Saturday rather than a Sunday. And so the, the, the games ended up on whatever we could, we could 
find, which turned out to be Forsyth. Um, obviously, we had a lot of washouts because they were uncovered. They were uncovered turf. That's probably 20, 15, 20 years ago now, maybe 20 years ago now that they turned them into synthetics. And so that's why they started at Forsyth. Uh, and it still remains the home ground for, for third grade to this day, largely because there's a complete lack of grounds available on a Saturday afternoon and third grade plays on a Saturday. Yeah. First Seconds and um, Brewer Shield have all moved to Sunday cricket many, many moons ago, probably late 90s, I'd say, they moved to Sunday cricket. And that's when we started to get access to the much better grounds. And you know, these days our first grade's home ground is, is Chatswood Oval. Second grade gets to play there a fair bit as well. Um, if we can't use that, then we're off at uh, Kalara Park or sometimes beach them in Chatswood so there's there's no cricket ground as such the Kalara is as close as you get to Gordon for a decent cricket ground um, and that's why we, we're still on Forsyth to this day because there's nothing else available on a Saturday afternoon on the North Shore. Well I hope if uh, Willoughby City Council is listening in there we, we need to get more grounds opened up for, for Gordon's women so please let's just make this happen tonight. <laughs> Willoughby Council are great they, they help us out as much yeah. as they can um, unfortunately you know, the North Shore is very people see the North Shore is very rich but what it's not rich in is, is space yeah, and, uh, and, and 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 we can't just go out and create a new cricket ground. So, you know, out in the out in certain parts of the city, they've been much better planned, and we're planned ahead, and and therefore there's lots of lots of green space. But in the Willoughby Council area, in particular, and Kuringai Council, and North Sydney Council, uh, there's not a lot of green space that they can go out and just turn into a cricket ground. Unfortunately. Absolutely. We're going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be we'll be right back here. This is Splinters with our special guest Jess Henry for match number 500. This is Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available to download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, TuneIn Radio, Spotify and all good podcast sites. And welcome back to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, TuneIn Radio, Spotify and all good podcast sites. Anthony Bull Caruso, we're back here with Jess Henry, match number 500 played just over, over the weekend. We've just come out of the drinks break, ready to go for the second session. And we've been talking a lot about... Um, the club itself. One thing we haven't spoken about is some of the some of the serious talent that you have seen come through the club uh, over the last few years, and really none get bigger than former Australian player migrant. It has to be said, migrant as well from India. Absolutely amazing. Her an amazing story about herself and her family. Current commentator, um, and I think rivals Ishigua as probably one of the best. Uh, female presenters of cricket in the world. We are talking about Lisa Stalanka. I've known Lisa since she was about 12 years old. She's one of my old, oldest friends and closest friends. And in fact, she was kind enough to run down to Forsyth Park on Saturday and and say a few words in part as part of a presentation that the club made before she zipped back up to North Sydney Oval to do her commentating gig for the afternoon. Incredibly talented uh, young lady and has grown very much into her commentating role over the last couple of years as well and was recently over in the IPL um, before she came back for the Big Bash and I know that she's got plenty of other commentating gigs for the rest of the rest of the summer. I remember her as a, as a young player coming across Chatswood Oval for the first time and with her parents, Seren and Sue, and very, very young but very talented the first time we saw her in the nets. She actually, I was her first captain. We played, she played third grade down at our Tarman Reserve a couple of weeks when she first started playing in grade and 
uh, and she was, you know, her talent was very clear. We actually liked her at that point. She wasn't quite the star. She was learning, and we, we really appreciated her mum Sue's chock chip cookies for afternoon tea. That was one of our favourite things, and she was she was an amazing cook. Um, bless her. And and we, Lisa only lasted two matches with us before she was drafted up to second grade. And at that point in time, I think we were more disappointed to see the chock chip cookie, cookies go. But but obviously, uh, Lisa's talent was to the fore very early, and I think by the age of fourteen, she was playing in a first great grand final so so she uh, was ahead of her time I think it, it, she was absolutely ahead of her time her talent was extraordinary she's been one of the best players in the world and of course in, in just a couple of months ago was inducted into the ICC Hall of Fame so a uh, great name to have connected with the club but uh, also a very good friend and and wish her every success in her commentating career in particular I think she's going to continue to do very well I think there was one time in particular as I, as I mentioned her with, with herself and Ishigua sitting together I how, I don't remember how he was the third the third, the third commentator in that room. He just basically just sat back and just let the two um, fire off with each other, and it was just amazing. The match was decent, but just listening to these two talk, it just made you think that there is so much more potential still to uncover. Absolutely. I mean, I know how much work they put into the commentating, preparing for the commentating. I know how much stats work that Lisa does to prepare for, for her commentating roles and how much uh, work she does behind the scenes to do it, and they all do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's amazing that, I think it was recently, was it a few months ago or a few weeks ago, when um, Jeffrey Boycott, uh, was it Jeffrey Boycott spat the dummy over in England because he felt that Ishiguha had been he'd been dumped from the he'd been dumped from the commentary for the cricket over there in favour of having equality and having a balanced balanced um, deck with Isha in there as as commentator. But you know personally, um, she's there because she deserves to be there, and and she is very very good at her job as a commentator. I love listening to her commentate, and I think that we'll continue to see more and more women commentating in the game. Can I just say on that one very quickly? I mean, first off, um, the fact that Jeffrey Boycott spat the dummy about it speaks volumes of how much the broadcast has got the decision 100% correct. Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, Boycott is, is, is done. You know, and, and I think people just need to accept it. And I think probably, honestly, most people actually accept it. But then Ishigua, in her own right, she knows the game. She plays the game. Same with, same with Lisa. She add, they both add an extra element, which is probably one of the most mischievous pieces of humour I've, I've seen in commentary. Not just with, with themselves, but I think Isha with, um, with Skull. They're very, they're very natural. They're just brilliant. They're very natural commentators. There's no pretense there. There's no, um, forced, you know, forced work there. It's all, they're very talented commentators and I certainly, um, I certainly love listening to them and, uh, and, I, I can't wait to hear more of them during the summer. I, I think the I think the one where she pulled up Kerry O'Keefe for describing um, one of the batsmen as being an open space slapper was just was one of the best pieces I I'd seen. What did she just say? It was like, yeah, he's an open face slapper. And she's just she's just giggling. She's she's actually got the book up and just sort of giggling in herself. And um, mm. I just thought, you know, it's it's such an innocuous line, and it's just issues there just made it. This whole new thing. Mm. I think Skull didn't think that one through so well, actually. <laughs> no, he did. No, he did. And it was such an innocuous, it was such an innocuous yeah. line because he's, he's absolutely right in terms of the technique. But you know, yeah. trust a trust a cricketer to make something out of nothing. Absolutely. Fair enough. I missed that I, one. Look it up. If we get. Should look it up. If we get the chance. Heidi Cheadle. 
Heidi Cheadle. First grade captain, club captain, character, second second season as, as uh, first grade captain, and very talented cricketer. Very, very talented cricketer as a keeper, as a as a, a bat can bat anywhere in the top four or five, uh, and, and and has a lot of uh, opening and can bowl as well, and is brilliant in the field. So very talented cricketer who I think hasn't had as many opportunities as she deserved uh, up at next levels, um, and quite a character and works very hard as well. She's doing lots of coaching with our youngsters. She's a very talented coach as well. Um, stories. Look, I actually don't have too many, which is a bit disappointing, but I do remember as a very young, probably 11 or 12-year-old perhaps, maybe even 10 or 11, uh, where she was a tiny cricketer but but always still very talented, didn't back down, um, had a go at everything, and I've got all the time in the world in, uh, all of the time in the world for Heidi. She's um, an outstanding club person as well. I understand uh, from a couple of the girls that have played against her, and I won't name names, Zoe Benjamin, um, but a bit of a chirper as well on the field. Oh, look, I'm sure she is, especially if she's in the vicinity of Charlotte Annabelle, who's, you know, she's been well well trained by Charlotte, I imagine, so that's possibly quite true. Speaking of Charlotte, I do have her on, on here. I mean, the, late, the, the one who continually says she will retire and never actually does, I believe she's actually finally... She has, she has retired. She retired at the end of last season. Um, 22 seasons. Personally, I think that's quite soft. Um, she, she, you know, 36 seasons versus 22. I don't know about that. Um, but she definitely did retire. She's been an incredible, um, one of the almost most naturally all-rounded cricketers, uh, naturally talented all-round cricketers I've seen actually. And, and again, I knew, I've known Shah since she was about 14 years old perhaps, um, did retire at the end of last season. We haven't had the opportunity to recognise it properly yet because we didn't want to do it in a COVID world. We want to do it in a, in a post-COVID world when, when we can celebrate it properly and, and not worry about limiting numbers in rooms and all that sort of thing. So we'll certainly celebrate it. But she's made her commentary, commentating debut herself very recently and has been commentating for the last uh, probably two weeks in several of the Women's Big Bash games actually. So she's, she's put the commentators uh, microphone on as well. Um, but she's also our assistant club coach uh, behind our head club coach, uh, Ben Priest, and she's uh, done a fabulous job for us over the last few seasons as a coach. You know what you're going to have to do then if that's going to be the case? You might have to refer her over to two Triple H then if she wants to further this media, potential media career. Maybe. You never you never know. I'll, uh, I'll certainly pass that on to her, but she... Charlotte, if you're listening. Yeah, Charlotte, if you're listening, you, you've got a new gig, um, and she's. I'm sure she'd be very good at it. I didn't hear any of it, unfortunately, because it was all during working hours, so I didn't get to, to hear any of it. A um, little bit busy on the work front, but uh, I'm sure she, she was very chirpy on the field, so I'm sure she'd be great behind the microphone as well. One of the, from one of the most experienced players to come through to one of your emerging stars, a girl who I have to say I've had the pleasure of, of seeing grow over the last couple of years, um, a fine woman in her own right, a very talented player as well. And we are talking about Saskia Hawley. Sass is very, very talented. Again, someone I've known since she was about 12 years old. She came through our Brewer Shield, through our Brewer Shield side, was playing First grade, very, very young, um, probably 14 or 15, I think she would have been playing first grade. Equally talented as a batter and an off-spin bowler, generally bats at number three for us, sometimes opens, and is a critical bowler for us. We've really missed her in the first few weeks of the competition while she's been in the Thunder Bubble, and we're looking forward to hopefully seeing her back very soon. 
Um, she's had no opportunities, unfortunately, in the in the Big Bash, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but she she's a very hardworking player, very talented player. Recently started up her own coaching business, uh, Beaches Cricket, Northern Beaches Cricket, something like that. So yeah. she's her own coaching yeah. business. With uh, with Michaela Churik. With Michaela Churik, yep. So I'm sure that um, they both do a great job of that, and and we hope Sasha will be around for a very long time. She's a key part of our setup, and and certainly somebody for our youngsters to aspire to to be like as well. So wish her all the best with her future career, and hopefully she'll have more opportunities at the next level in the future. Absolutely deserves it. Absolutely deserves more. So uh, Shannon Heath. This is this one I think you might have a couple of stories about. Shano has been around forever. Um, she's one of those those awesome club people who just is a total club person. She has been playing since Brewer Shield days and total club person. Love having her on the field, love her enthusiasm. It's great to have her around still while she while she coaches and encourages our younger players. Play soccer, which I sometimes question, because generally she gets injured in the soccer hey, season. Hey, there's nothing wrong with playing football, all right? So there, there is um, if you come into every cricket season injured. Shano, if you're listening, it might be time to retire from soccer or football. Am I supposed to call it football? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, don't, don't forget Saskia follows it religiously, apparently. And unfortunately, she's a West Ham supporter as well, well which makes it even worse. Well, so. Saskia was, is also a very good soccer player in her own right and played, is it Northern, Northern Spirit, I think it is? Is that the local club? The Northern Tigers. Northern Tigers, sorry. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not a football fan. I'm, my apologies to everybody. Her, her cousin, her cousin though, is over at my football club at Colorado Strikers. So uh, we might be looking to poach Saskia at some point. Oh, no, is so. that right? Is that yeah. right? She, she actually, I think, stopped soccer so she could concentrate on cricket. Um, but she's equally good. I mean, she's a very talented sports sportswoman. Just all in, you know, I'm sure she's very good at any sport she puts her hand to. But very talented young lady, great young lady, and uh, we're really looking forward to seeing her back on the part to strengthen our first grade team and and get back in there. Uh, another one, one, another one of your favourites, I think, Emma Sherwood. Uh, no, no, Emma hasn't been around for a while now. She hasn't played for a few seasons. Um, she hasn't played for a few seasons, but but she did play for a long time and it was part of several premierships that we we had together. And we certainly miss her and and hope we might coax her out of retirement someday. And one that I do I do have to bring up because not only has she been a stalwart of Gordon for a very long time, but one that one that. And maybe you girls maybe would not know, but I used to play juniors against in right. the days, and it's Claire Jones. CJ, or Claire Jones as we know her, has been with the club about eight seasons. She's been secretary, or longer actually, because she's been secretary for eight seasons. We were very fortunate that she came and joined us. She's a key part of the club. She's a key, key part of our administration. And is, uh, in my view, I'm probably biased, but in my view, the best club secretary going around. She just quietly beavers in the background and makes it all happen. But on top of that, she's a very good cricketer in her own right, and when I was very good, and in fact, when I was managing the state, the very first team I took away as manager of the state under-17 team, actually, to the Nationals, we headed to Adelaide, and CJ was in that first team, in that team, and that was the first time that I met CJ, and little did I know that she'd be a teammate, um, you know, several several years down the track. Um, yeah, I, I, I've got to say, I, I had... I still have nightmares of trying to bowl to Claire Jones um, back in my time in under 13s up to under 17. So well, I, hated uh, batting, I hated batting against her because she bowls massive innies, massive in swingers that are very yeah. difficult to face. So I was very happy when she came and joined us. So I no longer had to bat against her. <laughs> um, I guess the, the big question is in terms of where where to next for women's cricket. Um, and the first thought that uh, the first thought that came to mind is so when seeing the matches that have been available at this point, 
is test match cricket for the women's. I, I just I, I feel from my side there is not enough test match cricket. No, well, there's really only one test match played in women's cricket these days, and that's every two years against the the Poms in the Ashes. Um, personally, I'd love to see a lot more test matches, and I know that the girls would love to be putting the baggy green on far more frequently than they get to. Um, but the reality is it's not what will make the game popular or bring support and sponsorship and money into the game. You know, test cricket's quite expensive to 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 put on, so it would be fabulous to see more of that, but the reality is that what is going to continue to draw attention to the women's game is T20. It's what brings people through the door, it's what brings money into the game, and you know, like it or not, that's that's the way that it is. I hope we'll continue to play some longer form of cricket, but I think we'll continue also to see more and more T20 cricket. The next one, I, and, and to leading into that, is obviously with the challenges that you've got with, with money generation within the competition itself. We're, we're in a very positive situation in that we're seeing the, the national team on full-time pay, and I would say, correct me if I'm wrong with this, but certainly the amount of pay that you could actually make a decent living of, and we're even seeing that opportunity available for some of the state squads as well. Certainly, it's it's not something I ever thought I would see in my lifetime, so that's a very exciting thing for, for girls and women to be able to become professional cricketers. And I think that what we're seeing, you know, the, the um, I was listening to, to Big Bash on the weekend, and and there's been a, I think, um, Midge, Alyssa Healy was saying that the standard of the bowling or the back-end bowling, the death overs, has improved out of sight over the last six years. And I think as we see more and more of the women become professional cricketers and be able to focus completely on their cricket or, or most of their time on the cricket, I think the standard is only going to continue to rise. So, you know, at that end, um, it's fabulous that the, the girls can go off and earn a decent, you know, a, a reasonable living by focusing on their cricket. Um, and I think because of that, we're only going to see the, comp- the, the the standard of play go up and up. And if you think about the the number of sixes that were hit in this big bash versus the first big bash as well, I think there's a massive difference. So I think it's really exciting. I know it's exciting for for uh, the girls. I think it possibly creates some challenges in that the pathway coming through might need to be more patient because the older girls will stay in the game longer because they can make a living out of it. Um, so I think we'll see a bit of a transition and a challenge there in that some of the youngsters coming through may not be playing at the higher level as, as soon as they would want to or may have in the past and they'll need to be patient and continue to develop their skills and then dislodge the stars as, as, as they get even better at their games. Well, not only that, but we're seeing a real golden generation of this of this team at the moment. It's been brilliant. This team that we've got now is, is almost... I wouldn't say completely unbeatable, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's pretty close to it. And these are girls in this current generation that have been together already for probably some of them for 10 years, and they've still got years ahead of them. It's, it's interesting. If, you, if I think it cast my mind back to the T20 World Cup that we had back in February, March, I really don't think, I think the Aussie team really only played to their potential in the last game. You know, the fact that they really, I don't think they put together the perfect game until that point, but they still managed to get themselves and drag themselves into the final. And I think if they, they, they play it, the, the, the standard they had in the final and the played it in the final, if they continue to do that, they will be completely unbeatable. You know, New Zealand, I think, is going through a bit of a rebuild. Um, England's coming back right up there again, and I can't wait for the next, next Ashes series. I was hoping to be in the UK for it, but maybe I might be watching it on TV, but, but can't wait for that to happen. I think it'll be absolutely, um, it'll be a fabulous competition. Now, one of the one of the things that I love to promote with this is the fact that cricket is becoming a viable sporting option for girls and women of, of all ages. Um, gone are the days where it was seen as, as a as seen as a men's game, and we're seeing a promotion of it to the point where it is now the, the 
even though it's now, I think, the biggest team participation sport for women in Australia, but it's still, I think, one of the fastest growing, and none of the other sports can currently keep up with it. Look, it is, it is growing fast. I think one of the biggest challenges we have to continue that momentum is, first of all, finding the facilities. Yeah, we're, we're a great club and we've got a couple of nets that we couldn't get access to until October in this COVID world and, and that's certainly holding us back a little bit. But I think that um, if we can continue to somehow find a way of improving facilities, um, continue to find enough grounds to play on on the weekends, I think also there'll need to be a bit of a move, perhaps both in the men's and women's games, to think about playing some midweek, midweek cricket. Do we find some grounds that have got decent lights and put T20s on on a Wednesday evening or a Tuesday evening, something to that effect, even a Friday evening? I think we're going to have to have more multi-purpose facilities so that we can have multiple sorts playing. Everybody wants a green space, so you know, how can we make it work for everybody and how can we better use the facilities? I'm down for midweek T20 matches. It's an interesting one because, uh, you know, in a, in a post-COVID world, if traffic goes back to normal, trying to get across Sydney, um, trying to get across Sydney and Peacock might be a little bit of a challenge. It would be, it would be. But having said that, though, the entertainment value, and you know, especially if you got a game, say on a Thursday or a Friday night, I think you'd actually be pleasantly surprised how many people would actually turn out to watch something like that. I think it would keep more people in the game because they're not having to give up their weekends. So, as well, so if you've got people who just want to play a bit of T20 cricket, um, if you can find facilities with decent lights, obviously they've got to be a certain stand, you know, strength of light, lighting to, to make that work. But it's certainly something that I think that will happen in the years to come because we just don't have enough facilities for all of the teams to play on. Yeah, at the, the moment we're playing triple header T20s on a Sunday uh, today, you know, and that's an 8.30, 8.30 Brewer Shield, 11.45 second grade and a 3 o'clock for first grade. You're pushing three matches onto a ground in one day. Um, but, you know, that's that's how you get everybody a game. And, you know, when we when we first started broadcasting the Kingsborough T20 Cup, it was during that time when they were playing three games, one after the other at, at one oval. Uh, I think we did one of the first ones, which was... About get this manly Balmain, the old Balmain and North Sydney, and as you said, the time just gives you nothing to work with. It takes one game to go overboard, and all of a sudden yep. you're trying to scramble everything else. So it is a challenge. Um, the, yeah. flip, the flip side of that is that the, the team, the club spirit and the clubness that you build out of that, because everybody's, you know, a few a few weeks ago at the start of the season, we had our Brewer Shield teams were on the field. Second grader were turning up to warm up. One of the Brewer Shield girls took an absolute screamer. Young Lucy took an absolute screamer. All of the second girls stopped, second grade girls stopped warming up and were cheering ridiculously from the sideline to cheer on this catch. And the Brewer girls got so much out of that. So there's pros and cons. You probably want a little bit of a mix of both at the end of yeah. the day. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, we're coming towards the end of the show, but there is still time. As you know, with, with the bench and with splinters, one of our favourite pastimes is throwing people under them. It, unfortunately, it has to be said that the first one is that you've actually self-reported yourself on, on this aspect in terms of being famous for getting injured constantly. Now, I love a good injury story, so go on. One of your, one of your best injury stories. Oh, probably 10 years ago, I uh, actually there's a couple, 10 years ago I dived in the field to save a boundary, snapped my hand, tore my hamstring from the bone and, and it, it cost me $8,000 out of pocket. I saved four runs but it cost me $8,000 out of pocket and it was a 12 month recovery so that wasn't fabulous. Um, that, that was probably my, my most gruesome one. Um, very late 80s actually, in pre-helmet time. 
before helmets became very popular. I was at Chatswood Oval in some pretty poor synthetic nets at the time and a ball came off the net when I was in the nets off the edge of the pitch, came up, hit me in the face and I have a tendency to stick my tongue out when I'm concentrating. And so I was wearing a mouth guard because I was a hockey player but my tongue was sticking out and my yeah. for anyone out there who doesn't like blood, well, my tongue split straight down the middle and there was a lot of claret spilled. My teammate in the next net next to me pretty much passed out and uh, I finished up in hospital with... 11, they put uh, three local anesthetic needles in my tongue, which is definitely the most painful experience of my life. And I um, had 11 stitches in it. They sewed it all back together after they'd figured out what to do because they'd never seen an injury like that before. And then I lived on mashed potato and milkshakes for about three weeks. (laughs) And then after that, I was made to wear a helmet. I wasn't allowed out of the house without wearing a helmet. So that was the start of my helmet-wearing days. I was very lucky lucky in my time sort of growing up when they started making helmets compulsory, so I was sort of used to wearing it. And, mm. uh, but then as a 17-year-old playing park cricket on synthetic, the number of times I used to get hit in the head and thankfully had a helmet on. So, you know, it's, it, it's abs- yeah, absolutely needed these days. Um, we do know that one of the, obviously one of the real challenges you have with uh, the women's game, especially for first and second grade these days, is that they do play on a Sunday. It can and sometimes eat into the social life. Um, so I imagine from time to time there have been a couple of interesting experiences with girls turning up maybe a touch under the weather, weather under, after a big night out. Look, I have to say, I think it was uh, last weekend before last, we had a uh, youngster turn up to play after celebrating her 21st birthday the night before. So, so well played her. Well played her for being a total club player and team player for turning up. Um, she was probably a little bit under the weather, but she survived the day. And there's lots of stories I could tell, but, I, you know, it, it's um, actually probably less prevalent these days than it used to be. Um, it, I think we're better, better behaved these days, and maybe that just means we're getting old or something, but... But I think we're better at planning ahead, perhaps. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a little bit like the, you know, the Aussie men's tips culture. You know, you used to, back in the 70s and 80s, it was a bit more relaxed and you didn't worry too much about the fact that you're playing the next day. But, but uh, these days, I think people are a little bit more careful. And, you know, you get breathalyzed these days as well, don't you, if you're out the night before driving and whatnot. So it's probably changed a little bit. I thought you were going to say getting breathalyzed at the game itself. I thought I was thinking, gee, that's going to be interesting now. Oh, not, uh, yet. Not, <laughs> not yet, but we could, we could give it a shot. You won't have the days where you have guy, uh, the cricketers um, playing for New South Wales at a hotel and then all of a sudden they're up until 4 a.m. talking to Roy Orbison. Not, um, not anymore. Definitely not, not anymore. That would, been, that would have been a story within itself. I think mm-hmm. it did. Apparently it did happen. A bunch of the New South Wales players hanging out with Roy Orbison. Oh, it doesn't surprise me. No, that, that would be... That doesn't surprise me at all. I've got a few tales I could tell, but I, I don't want to uh, incriminate anybody. There you go. Oh, come on. We're no, all no, no, out. We want, we want bodies under the bus. No, no, not, not, um, not outside of the club, and I don't want to throw anyone outside of the club under the bus anyway, but we've had... Uh, uh, yes, Chernobyl's pretty good at backing up, actually. You see, that's what I have heard. Uh, that is the one I have heard, and maybe we get her on to Splinter. She might share some uh, share some of those stories. Maybe, uh, but maybe we'll we'll see. We'll we'll absolutely see. Um, one final one final question. Um, you mentioned on a serious note, sort of Gordon looking to build up, and you've got a very good pool of of young cricketers. 
Um, you are going through a transition phase from your first grade premiership a couple of years ago. Um, skies are looking okay. Um, where do you think the club needs to go next in terms of getting themselves right back up to the upper echelon? Look, we're still, we're definitely going through a rebuild. We had a very successful period of time. Having said that, even last year we were, uh, we were in two grand finals for, for grade, for third grade in Brewer Shield and which unfortunately weren't played because of COVID. And we came second in the club championship by just an absolute smidgen. So right up there, this season's a little bit different. Obviously people, person, somebody like Charlotte Annaville retiring is a, a big, big change for the team, you know, batting and bowling. Um, for me, it's about making sure we're supporting our youngsters that are coming through as much as possible. I think last weekend alone, we had seven players from our 2016-17 Brewer Shield team were playing in first grade. Uh, and I think out of the whole team, nine of them had come through our junior pathway. So, yeah, you know, we're obviously we're doing the right thing. But we need to keep doing that. We need to be patient. We need to make sure that we're providing the right support support to our young players, including our young leaders. And you know, some of the talent that's coming through, you know, watch out for a Sarah Chun and a Kinjal Kamari and and players players like that, Sophie Martland. Um, I could keep going. There's so many young players that are coming through that we're going to see out there doing fabulous things in the year, years to come, I think. So it's be patient, keep supporting players, spot the talent, and most importantly, something we really focus on is making sure that everybody's having a good time because if you're enjoying yourself, having a good time, you're relaxed and you play your best cricket. Wow. One hour. And there's plenty more that you could, we could talk about. But with that, the umpires have pulled stumps for the day. What a pleasure it has been to have Jess Henry. Fresh from a 500th match of New South Wales Women's Premier Cricket. A pleasure to have a stalwart of the game. Continue to progress uh, opportunities for girls and women to enjoy what is arguably now the biggest women's sport in Australia. And did I just detect a tear coming from you when hearing all that? A tear, did you say? I, a tear. I swear I just detected one. No, look, I, I, people would laugh if I, you know, I, I don't tend to, to do that too often, but I'm just really proud of, of what the club's achieved, but I'm proud of what women's cricket has achieved as well. I mean, I've seen the, the Blackwell girls come through Stalacra and whatnot. All of those players come through. I think we're in a really exciting place, and I think the only way is up. And that's the way we all see this, the, the game going in particular. So, look, on behalf of everyone at Triple H and our Splinters, thank you very much for joining us once again. Um, it's a great relationship that the that we've got with, with the Gordon uh, Mighty Reds. And, look, we, we can't wait to have um, you girls on the on the show again soon. Thanks very much, Anthony. Thanks for your support and, and very happy to, to, um, to send anybody else your way. Absolutely. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we've got we're going to have Tony Dyson doing a special pro, uh, profile with Hornsby Swimming Club. Uh, not only that, we do have our preview for BBL 10 with some big names joining us for what looks like a very spicy season in store. On behalf of Jess Henry, the entire staff at the Gordon Women's Cricket Club, everyone on the Triple H Sports, this is Anthony Book Caruso. You have been listening. To Splinters, the best podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn Radio and all good podcast sites. As always, run hard or run home. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>